Welcome to the new campaign from Havas Links, Generation Now. The impact of the millennial healthcare professional on our world. A campaign that investigates the impact of new science, technology and funding on the attitudes and behaviours of the millennial HCP and questions what the future of medicine looks like through the eyes of someone who's grown up in a culture of constant connectivity. Episode 4, The Power of the Patient. A conversation with Matt Eagles, patient and social media influencer. Right, well, I'm nearly 48 years old and I've had Parkinson's disease for all but seven years. Um, I developed the symptoms when I was about seven years old. Um, I was a, a, a real source of interest from all sorts of medical people because I was showing symptoms of a disease that uh, really wasn't associated with young children at the time. They thought it was either a, a brain tumour or maybe I'd perhaps I'd got something wrong with my knees. I spent an awful lot of time having tests done at uh, Boothall Children's Hospital in Blakely in North Manchester, which is sadly no longer. But um, when I was about nine, I was at the MRI and I was given a Cinemet. Now, this is purely by accident. This is a guy who I'd seen only once, and he thought, hey, this, this, this actually might help this young lad, young man. And he gave me 50p, and I thought, I'll take these tablets for 50p. <laughs> and you know, they actually worked, and these are tablets for, for Parkinson's disease. And uh, I think everybody in the medical profession was astounded the fact that somebody so young had actually got these symptoms. Um, but of course, I didn't know what was going on. You don't as a child. You, in general, you just go with the flow. I mean, I'd, all, I'd done junior rugby and I'd done all sorts of things. But uh, for some reason, when I was at school, I couldn't stand up in assembly. I kept on falling backwards very, very slowly. And I, I didn't know particularly what was the matter. But uh, this very innovative doctor in the MRI obviously thought... He was onto something, and indeed he was onto something indeed. But uh, still, to cope with this as a young, well, somebody growing up really is, is quite difficult. But I didn't really know any difference. I had no blueprints. I had no no map of how to behave. So as kids, you know, if something happens, you just get on with it. So throughout school, I was I went to a good school, but. Uh, the reactions from the teachers were quite bizarre because it, it ranged from one of my Latin teacher calling me dead legs, my maths teacher making me lie in front of the, the blackboard for a whole lesson because I was late and I'd been dragged in by some colleagues who thought it was really funny. Not Well, they were trying to help me get into the classroom, but they, they dragged me in and sort of lay me on the floor. And my teacher thought it'd be a great idea if I stayed there the whole lesson. Even though I, I was begging her that really it wasn't ideal to try and learn something looking up at a blackboard, but that's, uh, some teachers are very helpful as well, of course, as well. But uh, interestingly enough, and I jumped several de decades now. Um, a friend of mine, who I, who was strangely the only black kid in our school, but he contacted me on LinkedIn and said, "I'm sorry for bullying you, Matt." Now, to me, I'd never really felt that I'd been bullied, but he, he'd obviously done something to me when I was at school that perhaps I'd blanked out, that he was aware, and he, he felt guilty about it. Yeah. It's, um, it's remarkable. I wonder, like, um, the, 
the sort of difference that must have made. I mean, you mentioned the MRI as well. I think you were telling me that's that that's one right. Yes, one, yeah, one of the first to ever have an MRI scan, and my I still remember it to this day. It was, I even put my head in our own washing machine at home when it was off, just to say, "Yep, this is like having an MRI scan." <laughs> yes. Quite claustrophobic, but again, as a kid, you just get on with it. You, you know, you don't think anything different, and that that was kind of how it was and for me. So you, I mean, it's quite remarkable. You mentioned that kind of like amazingly innovative doctor back in the day, having that sort of wit and I guess almost slightly entrepreneurial spirit to, to echo something Dave was saying, like to try something different, yeah, and to 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 to, to try something and to keep trying something different until you find an answer. So, kind of fast forward a little bit to. Um, today and just thinking about you and the doctors that help you how how has that relationship between you and your doctor sort of changed over the years and, and what's it like today well it's changed immeasurably when I used to go to, when I used to go I got referred to London at quite an early age mm. but really I, w- I was talked at yeah these days and this is a prime example because I only did it yesterday I've been having problems with my trapezius muscle. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll just tweak my consultant. And that's exactly what I did. I DM'd my consultant, and he replied within an hour. He said, I think we should get together and chat, Matt, see how things are going. Now, this, this is how it is for me now. I can, I can, I've got a very, very forward-thinking consultant who uses all sorts of different media, um, and it really puts my mind at ease when I can, when I can do things like that. And do you think that you're quite unusual in that respect in having access to a doctor like that, or do you think that that's quite sort of typical behaviour these days? I mean, how how I think I was quite. I think I did when I first tweeted him. I thought, is he going to respond? And when he did, I was quite excited by the fact that he was on the on the same plane as me. Do you know what I mean? He was he was my doctor. He's actually younger than me, by the way, but. uh, he was embracing the technology and all the things just like I was, and he was answering me, and it very much put me at my mind at ease. I didn't have to go through all sorts of um, bureaucracy to get in contact with him, and you know, I could just—it was just me and him. We're, we're human beings. I was asking him a question. Yes, he's my consultant, but at the end of the day, we're all human, you know. And he—he he was just coming back to, yeah, let's chat, we, you know. And I think that's brilliant—the fact that you can distinguish the fact that he's a consultant and I'm a patient. Sort of break down that boundary a little bit. Breaking about, yes. Accepting the fact that we're all human beings at the end of the day and we can communicate with each other outside perhaps the formal tracks. I think it's really really important. And and again, it's it's that kind of... uh, it's that kind of behaviour that we see kind of more and more modelled in the way that we that we interact. I wonder, though, to kind of come back to, I guess, maybe more some of the treatment that you've been having. Um, and in particular, um, this phenomenal thing, which I hadn't really sort of come across before. So deep brain stimulation. Yes, it's... Uh, Tell us <laughs> about what the hell deep brain stimulation is. Deep brain stimulation is one of the most amazing pieces of technology in surgery that I think I've come across in my lifetime. I was lucky to have it 10 years ago, which is quite a long time ago, and I haven't had my battery replaced yet. But those of you looking at me now probably won't realise that I've actually got a brain pacemaker in my chest. Uh, and I'll, 
I don't know, and I've also got two electrodes in my in my head which go about that deep into my brain. Um, and I'm actually remote controlled. Yeah, that's not a slide clicker, no, 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 Dave. Well, I was worried earlier on when you were hammering the button that well, this was... You should have used this. I don't... Yeah. Believe it or not, and in the best sense of the words, this can actually turn me on and off. Steady. Unfortunately, Steady. that means make me move or make me not. And that's, that's the, the astonishing piece of kit that deep brain stimulation is. Um, this is quite an antiquated... It's called a therapy controller. Um, if, but if I put it on my chest and I switch it off, I literally turn myself off, which I do when I look don't, in the mirror. We've got like, yeah, don't leave me feeling <laughs> dead air, man. But um, I think the beauty of it, this, in the 10 years since I've had my surgery, um, technology has really come on, and now they can actually alter my stimulation remotely, which I think is astonishing. So I can be. Well, hopefully they won't do it deliberately when I'm not expecting it, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> it could be quite scary, that. But Does it, yeah, I mean, I, it, terrifies, it terrifies me, the concept of it generally, but then the fact that, you know, the technology is moving to make it possible to manage remotely, somewhat, if you pardon the pun, blows my mind. So, kind of, how do you deal with that sort of, sort of slight trepidation or fear or nervousness? Does it, does it weigh heavy on you, or is it something that you just kind of learn to accept? I'm quite... Well... I've embraced it, really. I mean, at the end of the day, when I was given the option to have the operation, it was based not necessarily on my research because I trusted my my consultant team implicitly. So in other words, if they suggested it might help me, then then it might help me. So why not go for it? They're not going to... Surely they're not going to tell me something that's not going to do me any good. So You'd hope not, wouldn't you? But yeah. so, so that's why I went for it. And um, but the piece... I mean, it, it is actually like being a bit of, bit of a zombie. When I go for treatment, they can literally make me... We all know the, the tin man in The Wizard of Oz yeah, who runs yeah. out of oil. Well, they can literally switch me off and free, make me freeze by ultra-stimulation. And the fact that... In the f in, well, they can, I think they can, I'm pretty sure they can do it now. The fact that they can do that remotely now is quite well, exceedingly exciting, but also quite scary. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. But I mean, it, obviously, you talk with great kind of passion about the difference that it's made to you. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, I know you do quite a lot of sort of advocacy work, I suppose, speaking yeah. on behalf and, 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 and really sort of enthusing about deep brain stimulation. I, th I think this is something that the pharma industry could use as well. I'm actually an, amb an ambassador for deep brain stimulation. In other words, if somebody was considering having the surgery, and didn't want necessarily to listen to a, a, a GP or a consultant, they could contact me or whoever they thought looked better or had a better uh, resume, I suppose. Yeah. And I, then they could, they could say, contact me and say, listen, can I talk to you about this operation? How, how was it? The fact that I fainted like a big wuss during the first part and had to have it all done under general anaesthetics beside the point. <laughs> but apart from that, it was a great operation and... This, this, just to keep it real, guys, this is the difference it's made. And it, and it might not sound an awful lot to most people, but to me, and to be able to, for my own personal uh, well-being, it made the difference of me being able to get up in the night and go to the bathroom rather than rolling out of the floor onto, the bath, onto my bedroom floor and weeing in a pot. 
That doesn't sound very much, but to me, that's the world. It's my dignity. And that means a whole lot to me. And this deep, the deep brain stimulation is not just used for Parkinson's asymptomatics. It's used for a whole host of applications from depression to suicide, headaches, to a whole host of things. If you get the electrodes in the right place, kaboom, it can be really helpful. It's incredible. It's incredible. Someone was, uh, someone was tweeting us here saying, did it noticeably improve your symptoms? You know, it, it's working for you, yeah, right? It's, it's it, it is. It's, yes, it is. And astonishingly enough, because for some reason, be it, be it lucky, well, I think I'm quite lucky, really, because I seem to, I got it, I'm probably one of the youngest in the country to have ever been recognised as having Parkinson's disease. But also, these batteries are only supposed to last five years. Well, I've had mine in for ten. So far, <laughs> so. It's because of your powerful personality, man, I reckon. I'm not it. sure whether it's working, personally. Well, well, we can <laughs> hammer some buttons. We can yeah, maybe not. no, I wouldn't do that. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm not touching that thing. It's fine. Um, so... Deep brain stimulation is, is is amazing, and the kind of I guess the the role of technology in in how you you manage your condition and you and you live with your disease is is quite remarkable. I know you're also a really sort of passionate advocate for um, the power of social media, absolutely, in terms yeah. of, 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 and the difference that that's made to you and your life and, and and living with with Parkinson's is arguably kind of almost as big. Yeah, I would say. So. I mean, when I was younger, I didn't. I never knew anybody who had Parkinson's disease. Let's alone, I'd, n I'd never met anybody. But since the advent of Facebook and Twitter and what have you, I've come to realise that there are actually an awful lot of people out there in their twenties, thirties, and forties who do have young onset Parkinson's disease and who do suffer horrendously, and are only coming out of the woodwork because people are actually there and available to to listen to them. Um, it's astonishing. I know, from, from knowing nobody at all with young onset Parkinson's, there's a whole community out there. And it's, uh, we really, we're very proactive, we're very forward thinking and ambitious, and we help each other. And I think that goes a long way. It's, uh, I'm, I mean, I do tweet a load of rubbish actually, by the way, so if you, if you Look at my Twitter handle. I do tweet some rubbish as well, but there is some serious <laughs> stuff as well in there, and it it does mixed I'd in between. The mixed in between, yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, because I, I I think that's kind of what I like about that, though. I mean, you would laugh at it. I I I follow you, and it's not all rubbish. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of um, you know, you're not just you know, you're incredibly passionate about your treatment, about the the deep brain stimulation, about engaging and supporting um that sort of wider community, right? But there's more to Matt Eagles than just Parkinson's. Oh yes, right. Well, yeah, when I, I mean, I happen to have Parkinson's disease, but uh, I don't actually talk about Parkinson's disease every day. It's just something I deal with every day, but I don't talk about it every day. Um, my passion is well, actually, uh, recently I actually love photography, and the pinnacle of my, I don't know, not really career of my life, I guess. I've always wanted to go to an Olympic Games and. Uh, at the 2012 Olympic Games, not only did I go, I was actually an official photographer for the football tournaments. And I got accredited by the IOC in Lausanne through a friend of mine. I used to, uh, for no fear, write for my local paper, doing local football reports and, do, and take pictures of local football and write a couple of pages of copy and accompany it with photographs. And one of my friends who works for ESPN uh, decided it'd be a really good idea if 
in recognition of that if I went as their photographer, even though they don't actually, strictly speaking, have a photographer because they use syndicated images. But anyway, as luck would have it, I managed to get through all the, the process and got my accreditation. And I really, I mean, even though I'm not a professional photographer now, it's certainly one of the best experiences of my life. I met some brilliant people. I photographed three times at Old Trafford, three times at Wembley, people like Suarez, Neymar and everything. They're not necessarily good pics, but I was there to do it. And I, I fell over, I did all sorts of things that you shouldn't <laughs> perhaps do. And in fact, one of the most embarrassing things that I must tell the audiences is I was on the pitch at Old Trafford uh, getting ready to take a picture of team picture of the American ladies, the USA t t uh, soccer team for the semi-finals. And I'd put my walking stick beside me on the pitch and that some of the American substitutes had walked up and three of them tripped over my stick and fell on the floor. <laughs> and I was absolutely devastated. They actually thought it was quite funny, but uh, I was... I so was did they win? They did. They won 4-3 well, right, in stoppage time, and I got the picture of the goal, and I was chiffed to bits. Amazing, amazing. There's um, uh, loads of questions coming in, Matt, so I was going to sort of pick up on, on a couple of them. So... Um, and apologies if I don't get to your question. Sorry, guys. So, like, Harry was asking you, um, what does, in your mind, I kind of, in the what's the future ideal for you in terms of how people perceive Parkinson's? How do you want people to perceive Parkinson's disease kind of moving forward? I want people to be perceive it as something that people live with, but not... People aren't Parkinson's disease. People are people. They just have to live with Parkinson's disease. And I think that's that's a big thing. You tend to be labelled about... Uh, I mean, people... T there's a thing in the Parkinson's community, you're known as a parky. Well, I don't particularly like being known as a parky. I prefer to be known as Matt Eagles, who happens to have Parkinson's disease. But um, I think the social media side of it uh, helps tremendously because it promotes honesty. Mm. And I think the, the more honest you can be about having, having a condition and the more open you can be, the better. And I think social media and digital media in particular encourages honesty. And do you think that's something that, that we and that sort of the pharmaceutical industry, I guess, could learn from a little bit as well? I'm, I'm absolutely sure. I mean, Dealing with somebody, I mean, you, everybody's heard of Twitter trolls and what have you, people say nasty things to people. But you can also give information which perhaps you wouldn't give face to face, which I think is very interesting. And, I, and I've been in a position where people on social media, other people with Parkinson's disease, have confessed things to me personally over social media about perhaps what their medications done, side effects of their medication or what's happened to them that they would never, ever tell their consultants, which I find... I was, I was honoured that they felt yeah, that's they were a able to do thing, that. Yeah, that's a double-edged thing, right? Yeah, they're yeah, yeah. honoured, but at the same time, it's worrying. It is, and it's worrying because I believe if you, if you communicate through social media, you're, you're more likely to tell the truth. I think there is a genuine... A, I don't think this is necessarily specific to Parkinson's, but face-to-face -face with your consultant, live and dangerous, if you like, I don't think the truth is always put out there. Yeah. Whereas if you're just sending a message to somebody, you might say, well, actually, I'm not feeling... Because how, how many people go to the GPs and they ask, how are you? And you go, oh, I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> exactly. But you're not because you're at the GPs. So why not say I'm not, actually? That's why I'm here, silly. 
joking, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to argue with that. I do it myself. I do it myself. But uh, no, I think, um, it, I mean, I'm a big believer in, through the Parkinson's side of things, I'm a big believer in 110% honesty. Not just 100%, 110%, because without it, you don't move forward. If you don't tell people what the situation is, they're never going to know. And if you play it down, they're never going to know the severity of it. I think it's something other I think the um, I know one of the things and we spoke about this before, Matt. But um, you know, I think something that uh, sometimes scares the living hell out of uh, out of pharmaceutical companies when it comes to social media is the whole sort of side effects, adverse events side of things. Mm. But I remember we had a conversation um, talking specifically about uh, something around that line. So I wanted to uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Going back to the 110%, and it was the, one, the first time I'd actually admitted it to anybody outside. Um, the Parkinson's medication that I was on at one stage caused me to... It's a, they're a dopamine agonist, actually. Uh, and they are, they are known in some cases to cause potential issues with um, behavioural problems to do with gambling, to do with uh, being... <laughs> being addicted to shopping and sex and all kinds of things. But I actually had a real problem, even though I've been taking Parkinson's medication for, crikey, since I was, well, since I was eight, really. Um, I started suffering really badly from gambling online through my dopamine agonist. And I, fortunately, I, I spotted it soon enough mm. after I lost about seven grand. And uh, and I was able to set again. Fortunately, thank goodness for social media. I tweeted my consultants. Listen, this this is this is getting scary. I'm doing this. I can't help it. I'm not enjoying it. What's yeah, going on? Sure. Um, and he said, right, come down. He took me off the medication. Stopped like that. Absolute. And I kid you not, it stopped like that. Off the medication, and I. So some. Phenomenal. I think. But do you think that uh, was that even something that you were aware was even possible? No, I mean, I, I knew, I knew potential, I knew the, there were potentials for these kind of behaviours to happen, but for them to clear up so quickly from from not taking the medication, I think it's astonishing. And I think because people can become ashamed of s symptoms like that, sure, um, people don't admit it, and I hate to say it, I think. A lot more people have, well, certainly the people I speak to, a lot more people have side effects from meds and actually care to admit to it. Mm. And is that something then, that was a question that came in, is that sort of how um, maybe the pharmaceutical industry could begin to work better or smarter or differently with, with patients and with information? I really think we can work, yeah, I really think we can work together as a team because if you, if you have somebody who's a patient who's been taking a certain drug for a while or a certain time, who would be prepared to stand up and say, hey, I'll speak up for this medication. This is what's... And you wouldn't necessarily... you do it in confidence. It'd be like a, a mentoring system or a, an ambassadorial system. If somebody was considering taking this medication, they could contact me and say, hey, what's this medication all about? Rather than speak to a healthcare professional who perhaps isn't aware of exactly what happens. Sure. Speak to somebody who's, who's in, been there on the battlefield for a long time. Yeah. And I think that, that can work both, it can work very positively, I think, for the pharma companies as well. Absolutely, I think it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's an inspirational point of view, and, I, and I'm really, uh, 
sort of touch that you'd be so open with us. The 100%, 10% honesty. Oh, actually, you're a really nice it. bunch of people, actually. And I'm very, pl- I'm actually You've met all, all of them. There's a no, no, well, couple of bad ones. Yeah. No, they, they all look good okay. to me. Good stuff. Um, so, do you think that the doctor that you engage with in London, sort of how typical is he of his peers? This is the worrying thing. I don't know. I mean, he, he, he's almost become a personal friend, I suppose, although that's a kind of a relationship that you don't, he might not wish to foster. But mm. when you can speak to somebody or snap, not Snapchat them, but. Um, you could Snapchat li- him. Well, I could Snapchat him. I don't, I don't know whether it would go down very well. <laughs> <laughs> it depends <laughs> what you take a picture of, Matt. Yes, I'd, yes. No, I think um, if you can liaise, if I mean this guy, I mean he, he's he's a young young guy. He's very very interested in the condition that I've got, obviously because he specialises in it. And I think if more people could realise that this is this is this is what can happen. I mean, the patient uh, med specialist relationship, and indeed with the pharma, can can be improved tremendously just by. Ultimately, breaking down the fact that again we're all human beings, and we can talk and we can communicate in various different levels. If you're not comfortable talking on the phone or whatever, you can use different. There's the the opportunity for communication now are endless, and that's what I love about the whole digital revolution, if you like. I mean, I'm. I think I'm a millennial, even though I was born in 19... I was going to say, I th- yeah, I, I think you're six, pretty much exhibiting all of the hallmarks of the uh, of those uh, of those charts that Dave was showing earlier on, despite the fact that, like you say, I don't think you fit the age bracket quite. But um, I think, and, and that, I think it's, it's kind of what we're uh, what we're talking about today. It's not, and I was really kind of passionate about this when we were chatting before. It, it, it's not about, for me, oh, I sense for you. Um, sort of pigeonholing people according to their to their age or their shoe size. It, it, it's it's about a mindset and an attitude and a. And it's de- a, a it's, defi- it's definitely a mindset. I think. Uh, I mean, if you if you if you've got an illness or or anything, if you're positive and you think you think there's a future, mm. it's remarkable what you can do. And I think if when you marry that positivity up with the honesty that you talk about so eloquently, Matt, and the technology and the, and, the, and the ways of communicating that you have open to you now, then yeah. you know, the world's your oyster. It is, and I think this this isn't you can't you don't just apply this to park. You, you can apply this to anything in your life. The more open and honest you are, and the more you more. I mean, life's about communication, isn't it? If we don't communicate with people, we don't learn anything. We don't know anything. And I think how you communicate ultimately doesn't matter but the more you can communicate the better and the easier did i think the digital platforms are making it easier and easier for people to communicate and if i might say so Matt, you are one of the most fantastic and open communicators i've had the pleasure of working with so <laughs> thank you very much and uh, i think we've probably got about to wrap it up there do i dave yeah can we give these guys can we stand on our feet as well come on get up <laughs> amazing session